Let's bow together in prayer. Father, you are a good God, and your love knows no bounds. It is abundant, and you displayed that in your son. The life that he lived, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, the spirit that is now at work in your children, Father, you have loved us immensely. Father, let us see and taste and experience your love for the world through your word. Allow us to understand the heartbeat behind Isaiah 9, but allow us to experience afresh a refocus on your mission that you're on. Father, because you have loved us so immensely, may we abundantly, generously share that love with others. Move us this morning from your word. For your mission, for your glory and your joy, and for the peace of those who will be saved because we love them enough to share. Do this, we pray in your son's name. Amen. It is my absolute joy uh, to be here. I know uh, practically none of you. (laughs) Some of you I've been able to meet, and um, for that I'm thankful. But uh, this partnership, just like Brandon had said, um, yeah, he he wanted to be the missionary uh, but became the pastor, and I wanted to be the pastor, but I became the missionary. And so it's just a, a funny little... A coincidence that this has happened the way it has, but um, I genuinely appreciate uh, Pastor Brandon and um, just your guys' community here. Um, we're so incredibly grateful uh, to be with you guys this morning. Unfortunately, like Pastor Brandon had said, my wife and uh, kids are under the weather. They can't be here. This is a, just a small picture of us. That's my wife, Emily, uh, my son, Calvin, uh, Lulu, and then our sweet baby Elizabeth, um, wishing that they could be here, but they cannot, unfortunately. I'm sure uh, we'll be seeing you guys again. Um, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, if you have uh, turned to Isaiah chapter 9, that's phenomenal. That's where we're going to be this morning. If you haven't, uh, please turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. And in regards to the reading of God's word, what we find in Isaiah chapter 9 is probably something that you are already familiar with, simply because we use Isaiah 9 as kind of this Christmas celebration. Um, A child will be born, a son will be given, but this text, specifically from Isaiah's mouth, is coming uh, on the cusp of Israel being enslaved by the Assyrians. Isaiah is telling the Israelites, in passages previously, the Assyrians are coming because you have not stopped disobeying the Lord. The Lord is cashing in on what he said would happen. And because you have gone the way of the nations, because you have sought in the darkness to serve their empty idolatrous gods, this is what's going to happen. The Assyrian army is going to come in and they're going to take you captive and they're going to carry you off. 
And you will be plunged, according to chapter 8, you will be plunged into utter darkness and gloom. This is the consequence of your actions. But then Isaiah says, according to Isaiah 9, in the beginning of verse 1, but, but there's going to come a time. This is the promise of the Lord. You will not always be enslaved. You will not always be in the darkness. But we have to ask ourselves the question, well, how did this happen? How did they get to this point? We understand that God in the beginning of all things, before all things, he created all things and he created it absolutely perfectly. In so doing, he creates man and woman, male and female, Adam and Eve, and he places them in the garden. He gives them privilege. They get to be his and he gets to be theirs. And then he gives them a purpose. Go forth, multiply, fill up the earth. Fill up the earth with image bearers of me and fill out the earth with my glory. And not only did he give them the privilege of being theirs and his, not only did he give them the purpose of go forth and multiply and fill out the earth, but he gave them paradise. Everything that they would ever need was in the garden. And then we understand, according to Genesis chapter three, they disobeyed the Lord and they did what they were not supposed to do in eating the fruit. Being deceived, they lost paradise, but they didn't lose their purpose. They continued to grow and and uh, be fruitful. And ultimately what we see when we get to Genesis chapter six is this humanity, this human race were absolutely sinful. The Lord looks down and sees that every intention of his thought and every uh, intention of the heart is completely and utterly wicked. And so what the Lord does, he chooses Noah and his family and some created order of animals. Noah builds a boat and Noah and the created order of animals that he sent on the boat were saved. God reestablishes that purpose and that privilege with Noah. He tells Noah in Genesis chapter nine, go forth, multiply, fill out the earth, fill up the earth with worshipers of me and fill out the earth with my glory. And ultimately Noah and his family obey and they begin to grow and they ultimately grow so numerous with one language, they become one people and they wanted to stay in one place. They intentionally wanted to build the city in Genesis chapter 10 and 11 so that they would not have to scatter and go out and fill up the earth with God's glory. They intentionally wanted to build this city so that they could stay in one place. But in so doing, they began to build a tower. And that tower was for their name alone. They wanted God to look at them and marvel at their works instead of them looking up to God and marveling at him. God takes this one language and one people and he makes them numerous and he scatters them throughout the planet. And then in Genesis chapter 12, God makes a covenant, a promise with a man named Abraham. He tells Abraham, I'm gonna make you a light to the nations. Your descendants will be a light to the nations. And ultimately what happens is Israel finally enters the land the paradise that was promised to them, but they would have the privilege of being God, God's chosen people, and they would also have the privilege of being his. They would be completely taken care of. They were also given the purpose that you would be a light. They would be a light to the nations. More than that, they were given paradise, the land flowing with milk and honey, whatever they needed, it was there. They were in the best possible position to reach 
the nations. But they exchanged it. Oh, they loved to be loved by God, but they wanted to love other things rather than him. They looked to the nations that were in the dark. They didn't have the light of who Yahweh actually was. They looked to the nations and ultimately became just like them. They lost their purpose in being the light to the nations. Instead, being just like them, they served their gods, their empty, wooden, idolatrous gods. And ultimately, because of their sin, Isaiah is saying, listen, this is what's going to happen. You are going to be carried off into gloom and darkness. The place that God says his mission will begin for the people of Israel in verses one and two. Number one is it's going to be the land of Zebulon and Nephitali. There's going to come a time where the gloom and darkness of her who was in ang- anguish in the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulon and Nephitali, but in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who once walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. The place that Isaiah is saying, listen, You're not always going to be enslaved, but where this mission will begin is in the land of Zebulon and Nephitali. And where the land of Zebulon and Nephitali is, darkness will be there, but light will eventually come. And where this mission, this place, where his mission will begin, it will bring a product, according to verse 3. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoils. Man, Isaiah is ultimately saying, this is what's going to happen. Your joy will be made complete. And more than likely, the people of Israel are hearing this before they're carried away into captivity. And they're saying, well, how, Isaiah, how is that going to happen? Look at verse 4. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of the oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Ultimately, their joy will be had because the oppressor will finally be defeated. Not just will the oppressor be defeated, but look at verse 5. For every boot of the trampling warrior in the battle tumult and every garment will be rolled in blood, burned as fuel for the fire. Not only will every war end, but the war of all wars will be done. The oppressor will be defeated and all the wars will be over so much so and so sufficiently that the people of God will take their battle clothes and they will burn them for fuel. The war is over. Light has won. The king is triumphant. And it's not just the place that Isaiah gives us where this mission will begin. It's not the product But it's also this mission that God has rests on a person. Look at verse 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth forevermore. Isaiah is saying, listen, 
The mission will begin in the land of Zebulon and Nephtali. In utter darkness, light will shine. But this light will cause joy, inexpressible joy, because you will see finally that the oppressor himself will be completely defeated and it will be simple. But more than just the oppressor being defeated, all wars will end and it will be sufficient, so much so that you can put away your battle You can put away your sword, you can put away your shield, you can put away your battle clothes, roll them up and use them for fire because no more wars will come. Because the person, the Messiah, the son has been born and he will rule and reign as king. And eventually, after Isaiah's words, Israel goes into captivity. The Assyrians come, according to 1 Kings chapter 17, they pillage the cities and they carry all of Israel off. And Israel is waiting for the day of their joy. And it finally came. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 4, steps into the land of Zebulon and Nephtali and he shines the light for the very first time. Jesus was that promised one. Jesus was that king who would come to defeat the oppressor and stop all wars. Beloved, Jesus has not only started his mission, but he has commissioned us to see it to completion. And after ascending to the father, he is now waiting to return for his bride who will be gathered from every tribe, nation, tongue, and language. The end of his mission, beloved, is at hand. Jesus Christ is coming back to gather all of his sheep from the four corners of the world and we get to be a part of that mission. My wife and I got to be a a small part to that mission. Man, when we were convinced that there's people groups who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will never hear the gospel of Jesus Christ unless someone goes to them, learns their language and shares the good news with them for the very first time. My wife and I couldn't do anything but that. After going to training with our organization, Ethnos 360, we shipped off to the country of Papua New Guinea. Like Pastor Brandon said, I didn't want to be a missionary. I wanted to be a pastor. But looking at scripture and seeing that there's people groups who need the gospel, I couldn't do anything but that. But my wife always said, I could never be a missionary because she was afraid of the dark, she was afraid of bugs, and she would never leave her family. Well, lo and behold, we went to the darkest place on the planet, the middle of the Papua New Guinean jungle with lots of critters and creatures, and she was 7,000 miles away from her family. But as we arrived in Papua New Guinea, we learned the first language and first culture and began to look for a tribe to move into. Now, Papua New Guinea has roughly 850 languages. That means that there is 850 distinct languages. I'm speaking English, you're speaking Russian, and you're speaking Mandarin. Completely distinct languages, 850. We just wanted to find one of them. And eventually we did. After finding one of those people groups, we came in contact with them through hiking and Um, establishing a relationship as best as we could. There's no Rosetta Stone for their language. And so the first time we saw them, the first time we heard their language was the moment we stepped into the tribe. It was the first time that they had ever seen people with the pigmentation that we had. And after creating somewhat of a relationship, we cut a patch to uh, land a helicopter and bring our families to live with them 
for three short weeks. After those three weeks, we started to cut down trees. We milled those trees. We created enough lumber to build our houses. And after building our houses, we began to learn their language. I kid you not. When we began to learn the language, right, there's no Rosetta Stone. So the moment my coworker and I were, were ready to learn the language, this is our first day of language learning, we step outside the door and we hear, and I think, how in the world are we going to learn this language? What in the world? And then from, from the distance, we didn't even see the person. From, from a distant ridge, we heard, and always you me wab yawo. And always you me wab yawo. Luckily, we got really good training, but more importantly, we were completely dependent on the Holy Spirit to do the work that he had promised to do. Like he is really going to finish his mission. He is going to bring the light to the nations. Therefore, we're, we're just along for the ride. And slowly but surely, those sounds turned into symbols, those symbols to words, words to sentences, sentences to paragraphs, paragraphs to stories, and into our fluency. I remember being in language study. We were kind of halfway through, and up until this point, our family had been experiencing um, just kind of multiple issues that were kind of turning into bigger problems. And a helicopter had landed. We were, uh, our, the bags, our bags were packed. They're in the helicopter. We're getting ready to go back to the States to get some imaging done for my wife and daughter. And I remember sitting um, in my office with my best friend, and he was my language helper at the time. And he just said, David, could you just share with me the message that you've come to bring? And I said, oh, you, you know, I can't do that. We're, we're not there in your language yet. You're just going to have to wait. And then he said, well, what if you go and you don't come back? How are we going to hear it? Well, I, I said, you know, the Mueller's, our coworkers, the Earl's, our other coworkers, they're all here. If we don't come back, you're going to hear it from them. But don't worry, I'm going to come back. And then his countenance changes. Disposition, different. Hangs his head, moment of silence. And then he finally asks the question that he wanted to ask the entire time. David, what if you leave and I die and I never get to hear this message? And I had to look at him and I had to say, I'm so sorry, but you're just going to have to wait. Because up until this point, they did not have a word for love. They didn't have a word to forgive. They didn't have a word for gift. And they had no concept of life after death. So how do you begin to tell a story, the greatest story ever told, the light of the goodness of Jesus Christ? How do you begin that message without those words? So we pushed on and ultimately it led to our fluency in the language and we were ready. But before we were able to tell them, we created a literacy program. Like I said, it was, there's no Rosetta Stone, it's an oral language only. So we began to build an alphabet for them so that they would be able to read and write in their language. This was a means to an end, not an end of education, but an end in which they're not only gonna hear the words of God, but they're going to be able to read and see it for themselves. After our literacy program that we did with two graduating classes, we began to translate scripture portions in order to teach them chronologically from Genesis to Revelation. Think about 54 lessons or 54 chapters that span the gap between Genesis and Revelation that we would be able to tell them 
God's story of redemptive history through the person and work of Jesus Christ. This video is just a small, small picture of what that season looked like.
as we were developing those lessons, I remember it clear as day. Uh, where we didn't go through it chronologically so as our helpers would not be able to see just kind of the sequence of events, but we kind of did things randomly. And, and so he's, my, my friend is hearing of uh, this guy named Jesus raising this other guy, Lazarus, from the dead. And, and we're going through it and he's tapping the desk and he's whistling and that's kind of like their exclamation, exclamation marks. And, um, and then, so I'm eager, like, I'm, I'm like, man, what are you hearing that's making you so excited about this, this passage of scripture? And I, I mean, I had guessed it was because this guy named Jesus raised this guy from the dead. And that's not what he said. He said, David, the most amazing thing about this is there's someone on this ground who would say that they're the source of life after death. I'm the resurrection and the life. David, who is this guy? And what does this mean? And I'm like, you're just going to have to wait. You just, just wait just a little bit longer, right? Fast forward three more weeks. We're in Luke chapter 24. That's our narrative. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm translating and, and he's hearing it. And uh, it's, the, it's Jesus's resurrection. That's the narrative. And the ladies are at the tomb and the angels are there as well. And they say, why are you looking for someone uh, that's alive among the dead? Don't you remember? And my best friend slaps the desk and he whistles really loud. And he's like, yes, how could the grave hold him? This is the guy that said he's the source of life after death. David, what does this mean? And I'm just like, just wait, just a little bit longer. It's coming, just wait. And he did graciously, patiently, he waited. I remember the day we began in 2022. I remember when we began to teach Somali Olive people for the first time. Oh, they saw the very beginning. The biggest mic drop in Malayali history up until this point, in the beginning, God needed nothing. He was completely perfect. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, perfectly harmonious, absolutely happy, and so content. And yet he chose to create all things, not for his own consumption, but in creating man and woman, male and female, Adam and Eve, he gave them all things to enjoy and delight in. Oh, the Malayali people were like, yes, this is what we want. This is the God. This is the kind of happiness and joy that we've been looking for. And then they were completely shocked because not only God, not only did God give them everything that they, that they would need, but God graciously allowed them to be a part of this pre-eternal relationship that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit had. And they would be perfectly happy, exceedingly joyful, and perfectly content. And the Malayali people were like, yes, this is exactly what we want. And then slowly they began to ask the question, well, if this is what our first ancestors had, then why are our lives the way that they are? And then they saw in Genesis chapter three that because of Adam and Eve, our first ancestors' disobedience, it's sin entered the world and the Malayali people began to weep. Uh, they wept, not because Adam and Eve had messed it up for us, but they wept because they saw themselves in their first ancestors. If Adam and Eve were cut off because of their sin, then so are we. What are we to do? And then lesson 11, everybody remembers lesson 11. 
Because Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 holds the most significant promise for all believers that the seed of the woman would be born and she would crush, he would crush the head of the serpent. A Messiah would come, a road cutting man, the Yomatifu Mofi. This man would come and he would cut a brand new road to get us back into a relationship with God. That the road cutting man would come and he would crush the head of the serpent, he would remove his people's sins, and he would bring them back into a right relationship with the one true God. And there they would be with him forever. Oh, they started looking for the son of Isaiah chapter nine. We got to the story of Noah, right? And they're like, David, is this the guy? Like, do we need to build a boat? Like, is this the guy we're waiting for? And then they realized, no, this is not the guy. We're like, just keep going. This is not the guy. Then we get the story of Abraham and they're like, this is the guy. He's going to be a light to the nations. He's the one that's going to bring the happiness in. He's the one who's going to crush the head of the serpent and remove our sins. And then they realized, no, this is not the guy. Then we got to the story of Moses and they're like, we know this is not the guy. He straight up killed somebody. This can't be the Yomatifu Mofi. And we're like, yeah, you're correct. You're following. And then we get to the story of David and they're like, this is the guy. This is why your parents named you David because they wanted to give you the honor of being named after the road-cutting man, the Yomatifu Mofi. But do you know what the Malayali people saw? Sadly, it wasn't David. And devastatingly to the Malayali perspective, it wasn't any other king after that either. In fact, during that time, that's when the Syrian army came and Israel was plunged into utter darkness. The Malayali people waited and waited along with the Israelites waiting. And then lesson 34. This is the first time that the Malayali people walked away and they said, we know him by name. His name is Jesus. The son that they had been waiting for had been born. And in the mind of the Malayali, he was the greatest of the greatest. According to Matthew chapter one, he's the king of kings and Lord of lords. He's from the line of David. According to Matthew chapter two, he was an even better Moses. He went into Egypt to come out of Egypt to rescue the nations. Not only that, but he was an even better Noah. He would be the greatest savior. And just like the dove descended to tell Noah, hey, I'm showing you through this olive branch that the floodwaters are receding. The Holy Spirit descending like a dove shows all people that were there and us through the written word. Satan, sin, and death have met their match in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And then Jesus moves into the temptation and he shows us through each time he was tempted by Satan, Jesus was an even better Israel. More to the point, Jesus was an absolutely perfect Adam. Jesus would become our representative. And the Malayali people began to just say, Jesus, is there anybody greater than Jesus? Is there anybody greater than this son who would be born? No way. And then they became utterly perplexed. They saw Jesus hanging on the cross, beaten, treated like a criminal, yet there was no wrong thing in him. 
No sin that he would have to atone for for himself. Nothing that ever came out of his mouth that was evil. Jesus lived a perfect life, and yet they were killing him like a criminal. The Malayali people were undone, completely perplexed. How could this happen? And then my friend, he got up and he said, guys, I think we need to wait. We need to wait and we need to watch. Because did he not say, according to John chapter three, that he, like a bronze serpent in the wilderness, would have to be hung up for all to see? I think we just need to wait and watch to see what God's gonna do. And three days later, they saw by skit and hearing the preached word of God, Jesus Christ conquered Satan. He defeated death. And he was triumphant over the grave. And the Malayali people fell to their knees and they said, David, you asked us. Is when we saw the road cutting man, would we bow our knee to him or not? Yes, we're going to bow our knee to him. Is there anyone greater on this ground? No. And on that day, 75 of our closest friends, loved ones, family members, became brothers and sisters in this family that we call the people of God. This is just a small glimpse, a small video into what that season looked like. Should nothing of our efforts stand, no legacy survive Unless the Lord does raise the house in vain, its builders strive To you who boast tomorrow's gain, tell me what is your life? A mist that vanishes, it done all glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ, our King. All glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing. All glory be to Christ. His will be done, His kingdom come on earth. Is above who is himself our daily bread. Praise him, the Lord of love. Let living water satisfy the thirsty without price. We'll take a cup of kindness yet.
King, all glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing. All glory be to Christ. The Maliali Church was born. We had two weeks with those brand new believers, and then we were forced to leave. Those small problems that began in those early days, um, they were minor issues, and those minor issues turned into bigger problems, and those bigger problems in that last season of teaching the Malayali people became critical, critical. We had finished the book of Acts before we had left, so they have walked through the book of Acts. Those believers have been baptized Um, They've walked through the book of Romans. They've walked through uh, Ephesians. They're getting ready. Galatians is being uh, finalized in translation. They're going to start walking through that. Um, They are a maturing, growing church. And our coworkers, the Muellers and the Earls, are there now making sure that they're going to be uh, a fully translated uh, Bible in their language, that there would be elders and deacons in place, that this church would become a maturing and thriving church so as to reach the community around them. There's 3,500 Malayali people in total. We were a small, small epicenter there in Yetikawi, bringing the gospel to around 300. We would love to see a mature church planted among the Malayali people to go and share the gospel where it hasn't been proclaimed yet in the hamlets that surround Yetikawi. But is that not the mission of God that Jesus Christ has called us to be a part of? Jesus Christ started his mission in the land of Zeblon and Nephitali. And then when he ascended to the Father, he has called all of us, his gathered people, to go and find those scattered peoples that are still living in the darkness, which is the nations. But, oh, friends, you just have to step outside your door. By all means, do we send those missionaries to places that have not heard, they won't hear unless someone goes and learns their language to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them for the very first time. But if you're not going and you are staying, then may you remain with the mission as your focus in your communities, that you would step outside the door and know that what you're stepping into is the privilege and purpose that God has on your life. You are his and he is yours 
and you can be a light to the people around you. Oh, indeed, we bring the light to these places because it's absolutely necessary. But we are the light in our communities because people here have never heard the good news or they are confused when they do. May you be a light to the people around you. And may this church bring the light to those people groups who have not heard it yet. And maybe there's some of you that you have seen the light, but it's confusing. Or you've heard the message and you're waiting. The beauty of Isaiah 9 not only declares that salvation is freely and readily available now, the son has been born. But Isaiah 9 for us also holds a greater promise that the son will come again. But in the time that he does come, he will not just be a compassionate savior, but he will be an ever conquering king. His mission will be over and he will come and he will gather up all the peoples, all of his sheep for the marriage supper of the lamb, that he will bring all of his people to himself. But during this time, From his first coming to his second coming, salvation is at hand. Jesus Christ has lived the life that you could never live if you had a thousand years to live it. He was absolutely perfect. But he died the death that we all deserve because of our sin. He took your place and your punishment, bore those sins so that you could become the righteousness of God. You could be adopted into this family as well. But Jesus Christ did something so much more than living a sinless life and dying a sinner's death. He rose victorious to give us eternal life that we could have never earned on our own. And this life, this new life, can be accessed now. That is the joy that the mission of God promises. The oppressor will be defeated. The wars will end. And when our sovereign ruling king comes, there will be joy unlike any other joy that we have ever experienced in our lifetime. This will be a joy because all things will finally be undone and then recreated into something new. The Malayali people will be there, worshiping joyfully the son who had been born and the conquering king who has finally come. Will you be there? We go here to bring the light to those who have not heard, and we go there, other places, to bring the light that has not been declared. We share the gospel of Jesus Christ to all who we come in contact with. And we can pray, pray for those who have been sent and those who have not heard. Oh, but beloved, we get to feast now. That is the essence of communion. As the ushers pass out communion, the essence of this 
feast is that we are longing for the return of Jesus Christ. But beloved, his mission is not yet completed. But one day it will be. And that is the promise of Isaiah 9. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He will complete his mission. So for the time that we're waiting, we don't just go to share the gospel, but we long for his return. And we do that as a family by taking these elements, soberly reminding ourselves, refocusing on his mission, what he has done for us, what he asks us to do for others. May we partake together remembering that Jesus Christ came to bring salvation. And Jesus Christ is coming again as our King to give us joy beyond all measure for all things will be recreated anew. And so we eat together.